Well, good evening, folks. It's good to join you once again in this format. Uh, let me go ahead and ask you, if I may, if you would find a copy of the scripture and also find a pen or pencil and a notepad uh, because I hope you will write some things down tonight on Wednesday evenings. What we normally do in the chapel together is about a 40 or 45 minute Bible study. So tonight will be more of a Bible study format uh, versus a sermon. 
but uh, a Bible study format, and then we follow that with a prayer time. And so in sort of an abbreviated format, uh, coming to you this evening, we'll follow that same protocol. And so again, if you'll find a copy of the scripture and a notepad and a pen or pencil, I think uh, you will be greatly helped by that. I want to ask you to turn in your Old Testament to the little book of Lamentations. I know that's a small book to find. It's a book tucked away in our Bibles right after the book of Jeremiah. It's a book that's so often uh, overlooked. Uh, recently, I've been reading and studying the book of Lamentations, and it has so much modern-day uh, application in it, and we'll be looking in particular at chapter 3. If, so if you'll go ahead and find chapter 3, and I'm actually going to read from verse 20 down through verse 27. Now, after we read the scripture and have prayer, I'm going to first of all do an overview of the book as a whole, but then we're going to come back to this chapter, uh, chapter 3, and zero in on that a little bit more. And what I want to talk to you uh, tonight about is an Old Testament declaration of faith, hope, and love. An Old Testament declaration of faith, hope, and love. In Lamentations uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, and I'm reading tonight from the New Living Translation, Jeremiah says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Can we go to the Lord together in prayer before we begin? Uh, let's bow and pray together. Father, we first want to come to you this evening in praise and adoration. Because you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our gratitude. You're worthy of our lives. Lord, tonight we, we want to ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. We would ask specifically that you would teach us, challenge us, convict us, change us and transform us. May we be your people who do your will. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings. We have sinned and come short of your glory. We have sinned in omission and commission. We have failed to do what we should have done. We've not kept your word perfectly. And Lord, we've transgressed your word and your ways and your laws. And so we ask that you would cleanse us and create a, a new spirit, a fresh spirit within us. Lord, may your word now be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that you would comfort and strengthen the weak, 
We pray your healing touch upon the sick. And God, we pray that you would be a constant companion to those who are feeling this this isolation, this time of isolation. And and they're feeling that uh, deep within themselves, and they're lonely. And so I pray, God, that you would be a companion to your people. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, I want to ask you to, to... Keep the book of Lamentations open, if you would, please. And I do want to welcome you. Uh, if you're just now joining us, welcome to tonight's Bible study. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we'll be studying this little book tucked away inside of the Old Testament. I, I've been studying it some recently. It only has five chapters to it. It's believed that Jeremiah, the prophet, is the one Uh, who wrote it. Not everybody agrees with that, but that seems to be uh, probably the best viewpoint and a viewpoint that I accept. When you study the book of Lamentations, the suffering that they were going through as a nation was absolutely horrendous. Folks, I don't want to make light of anything that we're suffering here today because we do have people suffering, we have families suffering. And I don't want to diminish that one bit. But when you understand what they were going through in the book of Lamentations, it certainly seems to lighten our afflictions today a little bit. And I think you're going to see what I mean by that, and I think you'll agree. Now, I do also want to mention up front that a lot of what I'm going to do initially in the overview, I've taken directly from the introduction in the Zondervan NIV study Bible that is edited by D.A. Carson, Dr. D.A. Carson. Uh, That Bible gives a wonderful introduction to the book of Lamentations. And so before we get into the core lesson of what we want to cover tonight, I do want to just state up front that I will be uh, dependent on on the Zondervan NIV Study Bible for this introduction. Uh, But let's talk about an overview. Uh, There are five poems that make up the book of Lamentations. And generally the poems, they correspond to the chapter numbers. And they are poems of lament. They're poems of sorrow. They're poems of grief. Now remember with me the historical context. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, has come in and invaded Judah. Uh, He did this several times. First of all, in 605 B.C. And then once again in 597 B.C., and then thirdly, in 586 B.C. Now, you may recall that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken captive. Uh, The Babylonians would capture the cream of the crop among the young people when they would invade a land. They would carry these young people back to Babylon, and they would try to make Babylonian disciples out of them. That was a common practice with the the Babylonians. And so this is the period of time that Daniel and his three friends have been taken captive and they've been taken from Judah to Babylon. 
Now, during the, uh, during the 586 B.C. invasion, there was much destruction. It was during that particular invasion that the city of Jerusalem was razed to the ground and the temple was destroyed. But we can go even a step further. Gadaliah, if you recall, was appointed the governor and he was assassinated and there was another deportation in 581 B.C., leaving the remnant, the residents who were still in Judah, in disarray. If you want to read more about that, you can read more about it in the book of Jeremiah, chapters 41 to 43. Now, as you read the book of Lamentations, you will notice that there is a deep sense of grief that permeates the entire book. Now, there are at least five main ideas that I want to point out to you as you study the book, and I would encourage you to write these down. First of all is the fact that God is sovereign. The destruction of Judah and Jerusalem was not simply because one nation or one king was stronger than another nation. God had actually given the people of Judah over into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Uh, this was God's judgment on his people. He was going to discipline them through the 70-year exile. And so God is the one who has done this. God is sovereign. So write that down first of all. And secondly, write down that sin shatters the relationship of God and people. Now, I want to be careful to say that all bad things don't draw a straight line to sin. You may remember that was the attitude of Job's friends. And it was not right. But some bad things do indeed draw a straight line to sin. We know that the exile itself was because of the sin of God's people. We're told that in Scripture. And so again, sin shatters the relationship, or maybe better than saying the word relationship, the word fellowship. Sin shatters the fellowship between God and His people. A third thing I want you to write down is that cherished institutions are not exempt from God's judgment. Cherished institutions. What institution in particular are we talking about here? We're talking about the temple. Cherished institutions are not exempt from God's judgment. In fact, the Bible even goes so far as to say that judgment begins at the house of God. A fourth thing that I want you to write down is that suffering is real. You know this. But as we read the book of Lamentations, we need to see that the problems in this book, the, the suffering and the agony in the book of Lamentations was very real. There were things like starvation that were going on. And then fifthly, I want you to write down that hope is found in God alone. He is the only one who can forgive and restore. Now, as the book opens, if you'll just 
uh, jot down some thoughts about this. You can go back and read these five chapters later. But as, as the book opens, you'll notice that the streets were deserted. Everything that the people of Judah and Jerusalem had trusted in was powerless to help. What do we see there? We see the bankruptcy of man's solutions. You know, that's a constant theme that runs all throughout the scripture, isn't it? Man is not able to solve his own problems by his own power or his own intellect. Unless God intervenes, man is in deep trouble. And we need to keep that in mind in general. Now, in Lamentations, you'll see as you read through this book that people were actually selling and trading their most valuable possessions so that they could even have food to feed their families and themselves. And, as I mentioned, there was isolation in the streets. That sounds a little bit familiar to today, doesn't it? Well, once again, in, in uh, chapter 2, as you, as you turn the page and get over into chapter 2, we see that human wisdom has failed. And we also see in verse 14, uh, in chapter 2, that the spiritual leaders have not called out sin. And because they had failed to do so, which can be uncomfortable to do at the moment, but because they had failed to point out people's sin and preach against it, they had actually put the people in greater danger in the long run. You know, preachers today need to keep that in mind, don't we? Uh, that it can be uncomfortable to preach against sin. You know, we all want to preach encouraging messages that uplift people and comfort them. But sometimes we need to point out sin and we need to challenge sin and we need to call for repentance. And if we fail to do that, we could actually be putting the people in our flock in greater danger in the long run. Because the scripture says God is not mocked. Well, we see in chapter 2 some really horrible things that we can't even imagine. I don't even want to go into detail about it because there might be little ears listening in on this Bible study tonight. You can read chapter 2 for yourself and you can see what even some of the, the young mothers were doing. Well, chapter 4 talks about how their gold had lost its luster. Their gold had lost it, it, its glitter. They, they had gold, but it was of very little value. Well, the book continues talking about all of the bad that they were suffering. And the last chapter uh, mentions how all of their celebrations of joy had ceased. The way the people would get together and celebrate together. All of those celebrations had now ceased. Now folks, if these matters are all that this book talked about, you would probably read it 
and be tempted to think it's one of the most depressing things that you've ever read in your life. And you might not be tempted to go back and read it a second time. But don't miss a couple of things. Jeremiah says, Lord, return us as a people to you and restore our land. What a great point. Jeremiah sees how the people need to repent and they need to return to the Lord. Could you imagine what it would look like for a nation to do that? Also tonight, I want us to go over in greater detail chapter 3. When we think of the book of Lamentations, this is the passage that we probably have in mind. We even have a hymn, a great hymn based on it. Great is thy faithfulness. That's such a great hymn. It's one of my favorites. Go back and read the lyrics to that hymn sometime when you get a chance. And so with the introduction done, let's kind of zero in now on chapter 3. And, and what you're going to see at this portion of chapter 3 is there's a crescendo that's building. And I think you're going to see that. You're going to see God and then God's steadfastness and His steadfast love. And then you're going to see God's surpassing greatness. And so it's like there's a, a constant crescendo that is building here in chapter 3. Now in your notes, write down um, as our first point tonight after the overview, the source of hope. The source of hope. Read with me again verses 21 and 22. He says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Folks, in times of trouble, we need to recall that it is God who sustains us. Our hope is only in Him. He alone is eternal and unchanging or immutable. He's all-powerful. He's all-wise. And so our hope needs to be in Him. Now, let's think about something for a moment. At, at times, if we look back to the book of Jeremiah, we see what the people had hoped in. If you'll write down Jeremiah chapter 7 and Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 26, both of those chapters record the same event, the temple sermon. Jeremiah was told to go up to the temple and preach a sermon. It's often referred to as the temple sermon. They had been hoping in the temple while they continued to live in sin. So in Jeremiah 7, uh, he says that you're saying among yourselves, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we are delivered to do all of these things. They were hoping in the presence of the temple, the building. And because they were going up and having their solemn assemblies and their worship and their sacrifices, 
they were trusting in the temple and saying the temple is ours so we can basically do whatever we want to do. And Jeremiah said, no, what you need to do is you need to amend your ways. You need to change. You need to repent. You're trusting in this temple that cannot deliver. And Jeremiah said, well, the Lord through Jeremiah said, go to Shiloh and look at what, what I did to, to my house there, how I destroyed uh, Shiloh. And God was saying, I'll do it to you unless you repent. So they had been trusting in, in the house of the Lord itself and thinking just by doing that or going there, they could sort of check it off the box that they'd been to church, we might say, and then they could leave the temple and go on about their lives and do whatever they wanted to do. And God was going to judge them because of that. At other times, they had put their hope in their spiritual leaders who were not teaching them God's Word. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8, he points out they had trusted in bad leaders. And then over in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verses 30 and 31, listen to these words he says a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land the prophets give false prophecies and the priests rule with an iron hand worse yet my people like it that way but what will you do when the end comes so their spiritual leaders were not leading them in god's word and Jeremiah said, you actually like it that way. So they were putting trust in the temple. They were putting trust in leaders who were not leading them in God's word. They were also filled with idolatry. They were trusting in idols and putting their hope in idols. Isaiah is another prophet who condemned them for this and and Isaiah sometimes mocks the people for their idolatry. And he talks about how they would go and chop down a tree and they would take it to a craftsman who would overlay it with some kind of metal, uh, precious metal or silver. And, and the craftsman would make an idol and, and they would take some of the wood, they'd take it back home, they would, they would put it on the fire to warm themselves, to heat up their home. They would use some of the wood to cook their food over, and they would take a portion of the wood that they'd made into an idol, and they would bow down to worship it and say, you are my God. And Isaiah just makes a mockery of that, and he's saying, think about what you're doing. And if you've got to pick up your God and carry your God instead of your God carrying you, you got the wrong God. And Isaiah, like Jeremiah, is saying, folks, you, you need to think about what you're hoping in. You're hoping in idols that can't deliver. Well, what's the point in all this? Whatever you trust in, whatever you trust in other than the Lord is going to end up disappointing you and it can't deliver only God can deliver 
In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, They who put their trust and hope in the Lord shall not be disappointed. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah points out that the Lord is his hope. But it is specifically one thing about the Lord. I want you to notice in in verse uh, 22 what it is. It is the Lord's love. His great love. The Lord loves us with a tremendous love. And it's a good thing that he does because otherwise we would be consumed. Folks, if we tried to stand before the Lord in our own merit, we would be doomed. Now, let's bring this down to the New Testament for a New Testament perspective. As the book of Romans tells us, Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not even one. If God did not love us, he wouldn't have sent us his son. What's John 3, 16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave. Paul says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some years ago, I told you about a little boy. I I read an illustration in, in a book, a theology book, about a little boy who went to a tent revival. And he was listening to the preacher preach. And the preacher gave an illustration. The preacher meant very well in that illustration. He was hoping to communicate to his people. But there was a major flaw in the illustration. You see, what, what the evangelist did is he, he took out a glass and set it up on the pulpit. And then he had a hammer in his right hand. And he had a frying pan in the other hand. And he said to the crowd uh, that was there that night, he said, let this glass represent you. And the hammer, here is God's wrath. God is going to smash you. And he reared back and he, he swung at that glass really hard with the hammer. And then at the last second, he moved the frying pan in and the hammer hit the frying pan and the glass was spared. And he says, that's an illustration God in his wrath was going to smash you, but Christ moved in and he got in the way. Now, is it true that Christ took on the wrath of God against sin? Yes. But you see the problem in that illustration, it it makes it sound like The Father, the Heavenly Father, and the Lord Jesus are at separate odds. That the Father wants to smash us, and we can be grateful that Jesus stepped in at the last minute and saved us. So the little boy went home that night, and he couldn't sleep. He was very disturbed. 
He said, God, how do I love God? God wants to smash me. I love Jesus, but how can I love God? You see the, the breakdown in the illustration? Yes, as I pointed out, God, uh, Jesus does take God's wrath. But the Father and the Son are not separate in their purposes. Again, let me quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, all the members of the Trinity, were working together in our redemption. Folks, we can have hope because of that. We can have hope because of the love of God that reaches its pinnacle in God sending His Son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us. And when this life is over because of the resurrection of Jesus, we too shall be raised. Because Christ was raised from the dead, all of those in Christ shall be raised from the dead likewise. I trust that right now there is no one and there is nothing that you put your ultimate hope in other than Christ. Now, why did I use the phrase ultimate hope? Because every day we express hope. We hope a friend will call us and either the friend does or the friend doesn't. We hope that the store is open. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. By ultimate hope, I mean the more serious realities pertaining to life and eternity. I'm talking about things like forgiveness and peace and salvation and heaven. Folks, only God can be our source of hope for those matters. The matters that matter the most. Only God can be our hope. He's our ultimate hope. And I trust your hope is in Him. The Bible's scarlet thread of redemption assures us that we have a God who cares and He has intervened on our behalf to save us. He saved us through Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus bore our sin and was raised from the dead. And so as we go into this Easter season, we can rest assured that God is that source of hope who can be trusted. Again, if we're trusting in other things, we'll be disappointed. But if we trust in God, we'll not be disappointed. In our world today, the way things are, we're realizing, I think more and more all the time, that there is nothing that is in this world that is worthy of our hope and trust. The world and the things of the world will disappoint. But again, the Lord will not disappoint. God has accomplished and will accomplish both what He said He would do and what He still says He will do. What, what He's promised Past, present, and future, God will do.
we can depend upon Him. We can hope in Him and trust in Him. Secondly tonight, I want you to see the steadfastness of God's provision. The steadfastness of God's provision. Look at the second part of verse 22 and the first part of verse 23. He says, His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. Now, look at those phrases. His compassions or His mercies never cease. They never fail. I want you to think with me about that. I think there's two different aspects being pointed out here. They never fail because God always accomplishes what He intends to accomplish through them. An example to this here would be the exile itself. It will accomplish God's purpose in Judah. It will discipline them and it will refine them. And they will come out the other side and God will have done what he planned. As God says in Jeremiah 20, uh, 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. And so God's mercies, God's compassions never fail because God always accomplishes through them what he intends to accomplish. But they also never fail in number. Just when we think we're at the end of the line, God comes through for us with yet one more provision. And so Jeremiah says here that they are new every morning. Every day brings fresh surprises, fresh mercies from the Lord. And we can be thankful for that. Thirdly, I want you to write down tonight the surpassing greatness of God's faithfulness. The surpassing greatness of God's faithfulness. Look again at verse 23. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. God's faithfulness is there. It's there every morning. And notice what He says about it. It is great. It is the surpassing greatness of God's faithfulness. Isn't that powerful to think about? Now look at Jeremiah's conclusions to this. What does he go on to say? He says here, I say to myself in verse 24, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. He says because of the greatness, the surpassing greatness of God's faithfulness, the Lord is my portion. Or the Lord is my inheritance. I want you to remember the background to that thought. When they entered into the promised land, 
each tribe got a portion of the land. They got an inheritance. But I want you to also remember with me those who had been set aside to be servants of the Lord did not get a portion because they were told the Lord himself is your portion. Somebody might say they got cheated. They got the least. No, they didn't get cheated. They didn't get the least. They got the most because the Lord was their inheritance. The inheritance of the land could be lost, but the Lord never perishes. You see, folks, if we judge with the eyes of the world, we, we value things in a mistaken way. But if we look at things from the biblical perspective, we'll see that the Lord is always the best that we could have. If the Lord is your portion, come what may, you are in a win-win situation. So Jeremiah says, the Lord will be my portion. The Lord will be my inheritance. And secondly, I want you to notice what he says. I will wait for him. I will seek him. And he promises here that God will be attentive to those who do so. Now, in closing, today I want to speak to the one for a moment here. The one who has no hope. That can change right now. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Behold, today is the day of salvation. You need to come to Christ, and you need to come to Christ now. Don't delay. Ask the Lord Jesus to take away your sin and your guilt and to forgive you. Turn away from sin. The Bible calls that repentance. You see, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. We come to Jesus in faith and repentance. We look to Him, trusting Him and Him alone for our salvation, and we turn from our lives of sin, and we ask Him to renew us and live His life through us. Evidence of the reality of genuine salvation is that we repent. We change. And so right now, if you don't have Christ in your life and you're trusting in things that, that cannot satisfy, I want to invite you, before we close out this study tonight, I want to invite you right now, come to Christ and come to Him in faith and repentance and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me and live your life in and through me. Secondly, I want to remind Christians that every day that we have is a day that we have because of the Lord's mercies. 
because of the Lord's compassions. If the Lord and His mercies were taken away and there was nothing between us and the evil one and nothing between us and a fallen world, just think of how that would be. You see, the Bible says the Lord is a shield to His people. Now, yes, I I realize there's common grace. Common grace that even lost people enjoy. Things like rain. Things like sunshine. But if God completely removed His hand off of everything, that would not be something that you would want to witness. Every day is filled with God's mercies and with God's compassions. Be thankful that things are not as bad as they could be. Also, be reminded if there is anything good in your life, it is because of God and the grace and mercy and love of God. And so as Christians, we need to be a little bit more thankful. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. And let's close right now with a word of prayer. Can we do that? I want to invite you if you would bow in prayer with me. Father, we come to you thanking you for your mercies and your compassion. And we're grateful that we can indeed testify that they are new every morning. God, every day that we awaken, we see your kindness, and we see your grace, and your provision. And we're thankful for that. God, thank you that you are a shield and a defender to your people. Strengthen us through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And God, be a shepherd to us. You're the good shepherd to your people. Sustain us. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And God, whatever we need, you know what we need, Father. Whatever we need, provide that for us. God, I pray that it would be a time that we would look beyond ourselves to others around us who might have needs greater than our own and that we would be an instrument in your hands to reach out and help them. God, we pray for those in our congregation and beyond who are sick and suffering. Um, Just as we said at the very beginning tonight, Lord, they need your healing touch. I pray that whether you touch them and heal them, or as you so often do, you do it through doctors and medicines. God, we ask that you would heal them. You take care of them. Strengthen them. Lord, I pray that we would not fret, that we would not be anxious that we would trust in you.
Because as the Bible points out, and as we've said tonight, those who place their hope and trust in you shall never be disappointed. We thank you that you're our rock and our fortress, as well as our shield and defender. And we pray all these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.